Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To hitchhike across the galaxy? Yeah, yeah, wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Double Feature Versus. I am Anthony. My name's Brad. Yeah, that's that's Brad. And uh, today we are going to discuss um, a pairing of uh, coming-of-age films. And I feel like this; these films are kind of like the male and female um, inverse uh, versions of each other. Yeah, even though... Uh, so we're doing Superbad versus Booksmart. And even though Booksmart wasn't like uh, pushed out as a female version of Superbad, it, mm-hmm. it, it basically is. It, it is. You, you can tell. Even if it wasn't pushed out that way, the moment I saw the trailer, I said, oh, yeah, this is female book smart. Uh, female super bad. <laughs> I'm, uh, right, right. Well, I wasn't wrong. It's book smart. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, it, it's, it's the this, female this book know. smart. <laughs> right. This is this is female uh, super bad. So, yeah. Um, you want to just jump into this one? Uh, I For this one, I know that we don't always do this, but I have to suggest we go chronological order and start with Superbad. You know, I was thinking about it, but I think I think that might be the best way to go. Superbad, it, it, it only works this time around. I, I think this is the better way of doing it. Correct. All right, so Superbad. So, man, what can I say about this film? You know, all right, I'll just give the bare-bones synopsis first. So you deal with um, two best friends in high school, Seth and Evan, most likely best based off the writers of the film, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, you know, two best friends in real life. Um, Before they graduate, you know, they want to go to a good party. They want to lose their virginity. They don't want to be losers. You know, graduation's coming up and they just want to they want to feel, you know, badass. That's why the film is called Super Bad. They want to they want to be badass. Um, the plan was to just get beer for a party. And as we know, with great comedies, you know, such things are not that simple. You know, um, well, they're also underage, so they're basically trying to buy booze illegally, which leads to all kinds of hijinks and one of the best B plots in every movie ever. Mm hmm. Yeah. The thing about this movie is that if you were to try to pitch it in a meeting, they'd be like, oh, okay, so it's just a regular, like, uh, you know, kind of John Hughes, um, kids getting in trouble type of movie. But the way it plays out is just, it's, it, it really is its own classic original comedy, man. Like, I remember the first time I saw this film, you know, um, you know, most parents, if, when they watch a film like this with their kids, they'll be thrown off by all the language. Like, oh, no, like, I don't want my kid watching this. But it's like, I, I remember hearing from so many people. I think one of my dad, I think my dad was one of them included. But my um, my ninth grade English teacher, dude, he said, man, I watched that movie with my son, dude. And I'm like, dude, it just took me back to being in high school. 
Like, it was just so hilarious. Like, I wasn't even, like, tripping that the film had cursing in it while watching it with my son. I'm like, this movie just took me way back. Well, yeah, because the situations are realistic. Well, to a certain point, the situations <laughs> are realistic. Uh, the conversations are real. The kind of emotion, right. the kind of, like, circumstance that these people would be put in and stuff. Like, leaving high school and uh, your best friend is going somewhere else. And, you know, it's... It's an emotional kind of story, uh, but very comedic in its presentation for it. If you, you know, if you want to break this, if we, if we're really gonna deconstruct this film, man, you know, you never really know when you're looking at the beginning of something when you're in it. But this film was really just the beginning of a lot of things. It was the beginning of, you know, witnessing Jonah Hill. Like, of course, he's been in films before this, but he was like a supporting player. Where in this one, he was like, you know, one of the top billed actors. And just seeing his like comedic, you know, presence, his presence on screen, Michael Sarah, seeing his, you know, um, great awkward comedic timing on screen and his great presence, you know, witnessing Emma Stone in like a in like a larger role than we had usually seen her as a supporting actress. You know, um, Bill Hader, uh, Seth Rogen, both of them as the cops, um, mm-hmm. Christopher, dude, forever. And um, I hope this doesn't pigeonhole him, but but forever, Christopher Mintz Platz is known as McLovin, dude, oh, it, because of this film. He'll always be McLovin, but he's managed to pull some like roles in other oh, yeah. movies. Kick ass, he was great yeah. in that. You know, like he he has some pretty solid roles since then. I I, I want him to have more, but um, yeah, man, he he it's the first time we met. Like I, this to him is like Napoleon Dynamite. What that was to John Heder. Yes. You know what I'm saying? It was just a great comedic off-center role that just threw him into stardom because of how, you know, how much of a great character McLovin is. Yeah. Well, it's basically almost this entire cast has gone on to do some amazing things. And this was like the intro to uh, a lot of people seeing them for the first time. So this is literally like ground zero for the careers of Jonah Hill, Michael Sarah. Uh, like Michael Sarah was on Arrested Development, but nobody really mm-hmm. thought him as a major player in that show. Yeah, and the same thing has to be said about um when we get into Booksmart and we talk about um uh my my girl not Beanie Feldstein but the one that played opposite her Kate, Caitlin Dever I think yeah. her name is yeah we got uh, the same thing for her um but yeah man I just. Dude, from start to finish, this movie just cracks me up and takes me way back, dude. Because you feel this as a height as a teenager who, um, if you're a man watching this and you went through the thing, the the harsh experience or great experience that can be that can be called high school, you understand this movie, dude. Oh yeah, you understand a friend like Seth. You understand a friend like Evan. Like, dude, when I'm playing video games, this is why this film spoke to me so much. When Evan's playing a video game. And he just kind of throws the the controller like, dude, what? Why would they make the level like that if I, if they want me to win, but they they make it so complicated where I can't win? Like, why would mm-hmm. they make the game like that? You know, most people who didn't grow up in with video games wouldn't get that scene, but I've been there so many times as a gamer. I'm not even right. a gamer, but when I do play video games, I'm like, dude, why would you make the game this complicated if, if you don't if you want us to win? You know. <laughs> Do you not want me to play this game? I, I understand that sentiment. There's so many games that uh, I, I love, but it just it, it's frustrating to play them at points. 
Right. Yes. Dude, Spider-Man 1 on PlayStation 1, dude. Um, I, I kept trying to... I was in the tunnels or something trying to chase Venom. And I just cannot keep... I cannot find him anywhere. And I'm like, dude, throw me a bone here. Where am I supposed to go? Obviously, when you grow up, you realize the answer was simple when you look mm. at other people playing the game on YouTube. But, you know, at the time, you're like, dude, what? Yeah, there was um, no way to... Unless that game happened to have a strategy guide or you knew somebody else with the game that remembered that point, it, you, you were out of luck. Yeah. Um, oh, man, just endless quotables, dude. Uh, endless quotables in this movie, man. I remember I would be in high school, and um, if you if you said a line like this out of context, I can understand how it could cause some problems, but because people know super bad, I'd be like, she wants my dick in and around her mouth. Everyone would laugh at the lunch table when I would say that line because they knew they knew this movie. You know what I'm saying? I, I think one of the better ones is still she she wants to suck my dick. She she wants to, and and that's a good thing. <laughs> Dude, sometimes I would just, you know, be drawing dicks. <laughs> <laughs> if you say any of those lines out of context, I can understand how it could cause some problems. Right. If someone doesn't know this movie, but if someone knows this movie, these lines will crack you up, man. Oh. Um, okay, so let's we- uh, let's go through the A plot of this movie uh, yeah. with uh, Seth and Eggvin uh, and their adventure with trying to get alcohol for this party. Because mm-hmm. their adventure really starts at uh, the liquor store after McLovin. I'm just going to call him McLovin for the rest of this. Uh, goes in to get beer, and then eventually the cops show up, and they freak out, and they leave. And I think it was Seth got hit by a car uh, who was driven by – I can't remember his name. He was in Brooklyn Nine-Nine as well, and I'm blanking uh, on his name. I know I know who you're talking about. I, I He's one of those uh, uh, guys, you know him, but – oh, Joe Lou I – mean, Joe – Low Truglio. Yes, Joe Low Truglio. Uh, he ends up bringing them to another party for a supposed friend of his, uh, where Seth then ends up dancing with uh, the party or the house owner's girlfriend and getting mm-hmm. a period spot on his pants. It's uh, such a random scene. It's such a <laughs> random scene. It's out of nowhere. It makes uh, no sense. Which leads to him doing what I think is probably one of the stupidest moves in the entire movie. Uh, just emptying out some detergent bottles so he can fill it up with beer. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, we don't see much of it. We see him like emptying it out and then just filling it. I would hope to God he washed it out first, though. <laughs> He's a high schoolers, man. Let's not give him too much mental credit. Yeah, I know. Come on. The fact they didn't show any of that. They just showed him draining it out, and then the next shot is him just throwing all and, or pouring as much alcohol in as he can. And they're horny, dude. They're not thinking of, they're not, oh, they're yeah. not using common sense. No, no, not at all. Come on. So after that, they end up uh, running back into McLovin and then eventually make it to the party. On the flip side, which is probably the better part of this movie, 
is the story of McLovin and his adventure with the two police officers played by Seth Rogen and Bill Hader. You know, I I like that story. I think it's cute. Um, but I I don't even know. I wouldn't argue with that's the better part of the story. I think really? Seth and Evans. I think Seth and Evans' adventures are the better part of the story. Like I don't get me wrong. I love McLovin, but I I wouldn't say his. His experiences with the cops is touching, but I wouldn't say it's it's the best part of the story to me, in my opinion. I just think Seth and Evan, Jonah Hill, and Michael Sarah's chemistry was just just top notch to me. Oh, it, it was great. I will say that. But when it comes to even on this rewatch and everything like that, every single time it would cut back to the McLovin storyline, the B plot of mm-hmm. this movie, more or less, it, I, I'd be back glued to the screen instantly. Just, oh my God, this is some of the greatest. Stuff. And it's mostly because of Seth Rogen and Bill Hader who play off each other absolutely fantastically. Like, there's no missed opportunity between those two. And I'm curious, there's been a couple videos showing that they mad-libbed some of the lines during those scenes. And I want to know how much of it was scripted and how much of it was actually mad-libbed. Because some of it is just so off the wall. And you can tell that... Uh, it, it, I, I can't remember his name. Uh, McLovin uh, is just kind of a little confused in those scenes and then he kind of right, just right. jumps back on track like you can tell that this this wasn't a part of the script oh, oh okay we're just gonna keep ro- okay i got that, this it's, it's that moment in wwe where a wrestler goes too far and the guy he's wrestling looks at the camera like all right he's going a little off script let's yeah. let's get back to the to the battle yeah this is real blood now can can we stop can we stop what, what are we doing <laughs> dude there's one <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to go a little off center. I'm going to go a little off topic here. There's one battle. I don't know who the Undertaker was fighting, but somebody really was really was slamming the Undertaker, and the Undertaker was looking at the camera like, "Dude, this isn't in script. Let's let's move on." <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, and I I love the way that they bounce off each other, uh, especially knowing that uh, McLovin is not an adult, uh, mm-hmm. who he claims to be. Uh, I love that they let him keep the alcohol too. Like when they were leaving the liquor store, they're like, "Oh no, don't don't forget your bags. Let me help you with that." <laughs> I love how um, when they walk in on Mick Love and after he um uh, he he's in the bed with um the 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 woman that he likes. Um, when the cops walk in, you know they're like, "Mick Love, what are you doing, man? I thought we were friends." And you know, oh McLovin, yeah, Bill Hader's character just goes crazy right. and just like, McLovin, you ditched us, man. What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and McLove is just sitting there crying, like I'm sorry, guys. And like, I, I gotta admit that that scene really got me. That that made me laugh. And Bill Hader, um, I feel like you know it was good putting Bill Hader and Seth Rogen together because Seth Rogen is just like the lovable, affable stoner friend. You know, mm-hmm. just his his voice alone makes you smile because he seems like such a great guy. That's that's funny. Um, Bill Hader, he knows how to like go from extreme comedy. To like 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 peeled back comedy, uh, and I love how when he's dancing to um, NWA, uh, uh, fuck the police. That's oh such a great yeah, scene. Dude, after they've cleared out the party, and he's just in that right. one scene, just dancing by himself. <laughs> and he's uh, he comes into the party like, oh no, it's the cops. Yeah. <laughs> oh, better run, hurry up. Oh, the door's that way. Uh... <laughs> right. Oh yeah, I especially love uh, Seth Rogen has one of the best lines after they uh come back on mclovin 
and he's like, were you sleeping with that girl? Well, uh, um, I, uh, were you? You totally were. You know, we should be guiding his cock, not blocking it, man. Come on. McLovin's our friend. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I mean, look, I I don't mind that plot line. That plot line is funny, but I feel like it takes away from the main the main storyline. Like in another world, I would like I would have liked McLovin to stay with the two main characters and have have them be the three amigos. But it makes sense for the story. For him I to don't go think it would have worked topic. as well if it was like a three amigos kind of thing because it, it was more Seth and Evans emotional ties with each other. Because he was always kind of like the third wheel in their group, more or less. And you can tell that by the way that they make jokes and everything like that. Uh, Like, he was their friend and everything, but he definitely, they were the two close ones, and he was always there. That that was such a great story, Fogel. Could you you tell it again? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Could you just tell it one more time? (laughs) I I love how when he walks in class... He's talking to Seth and Evan. Dude, I've had moments like this in high school. He's talking with Seth and Evan in class, and the teacher at one point just goes, Fogel, hi. Like, you know, like, like you, you, you're in my class. Can you leave now? Yeah. Like, I, I've, I've had moments like that, man. Again, it's just such a relatable movie. Yeah, it, it's got a, a lot of relatable humor in it. Uh, a lot of, even, like, the emotional parts are very, like, you you understand them when mm-hmm. you know Seth is angry that Evans moving away and stuff like that, and then you can tell that Evans angry that Seth is like trying to basically push him into these situations he wants nothing to be a part of, and getting him into all this like crazy hygiene. Like you understand both of their points and both of the places they're coming from, and mm-hmm. it it, it kind of you can feel the hurt between them as well. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that this is like a bad part of the movie or anything like that. I, I, I just love the McLovin part more, uh, personally and entertainment value. I just love it more. I, um, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I think the ending is, is very touching for what it is. Um, well, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm, are we there yet? Or you want to talk about more if we get to the ending? Uh, I think we can jump to the ending because there's really not much more we can say about this one. I, I can't think of any scenes that really like stand out uh, that we definitely haven't hit on already. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, I mean, well, no, there's, there's, oh, man, there's, there's scenes upon scenes, man. Oh, yeah, there's, there is. Uh, there's Seth's uh, vision of what it would be like to get uh, <laughs> to get beer in a supermarket. Um, oh yeah, when he's going through like the in his the head scenarios. The security guard one is the best one, <laughs> where he throws yeah. the bottle. He just catches it, smashes it, slices his throat. <laughs> right, <laughs> and then the old lady helps him buy the beer. Oh, yeah. she says, "Good hey. luck, fucking jewels." <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no, she says, "Have fun." fucking jules he says or have i fun. will yeah <laughs> i love this movie man um and then there's a moment where they get to the party and i think i think they had a fight right before they got there yeah because uh seth thought that evan left the party and left him hanging even though evan was trying to help seth get out of like the fight and everything like that because they had the fight about uh Evan wanted to just go home. He didn't want to deal with the party anymore. And Seth was like, no, we got to push through and everything. So he thought that he left him. 
I like that Evan's trying to break out on his own and Evan's trying to be his own man because uh, he always hangs around Seth. And Seth, can you could tell Seth has a, like a little anxiety, like when oh, he's yeah. um he's sitting at the cafeteria after Evan leaves and he just kind of sits there and the camera just kind of closes in on him a little bit. I feel like that was a nice touch to show his character a little bit that he can't be alone mm-hmm. and like he needs his buddy. Um, cause Seth, Seth and McLovin don't mix. That's like trying to mix Cartman with butters. It's oh just, yeah. It, they don't mix. Yeah. Like, um, like I said, it's, it's Evan and Seth are like the two buds and McLovin and Evan get along. They're good friends and everything like that. But it, when it comes to the three of them, McLovin is kind of the third wheel in that kind of buddy group. Right. Right. Um, all right, man. You know, I think the ending is really touching, man. I like <laughs> I like that um, it takes its time with them in the clothing store of trying yes. to like get back to like being Seth and Evan again, and like I like how Seth is putting on the putting on the jeans that says I like these man. They can kind of put my you know my dick and balls in like a division sign, like yeah. you know. Like, <laughs> I was cracking up, man, because I'm like, who has these conversations in oh, the mall? The other thing was, uh, what are those poses, man? I don't know. These are like college poses. I don't think anybody in college has ever posed right. like that. <laughs> yeah, man, and um, I like I like the way they go their separate ways. Like you know, um, Seth goes off with Emma Stone. Evan goes off with. Um, her name's Becca, Becca, right? yeah. Becca played by Martha uh, Um, But they both look at each other as Seth is going down the escalator and Evan's like, like, like walking off with Becca. You know, like you, you, you tell you, you, you can tell you're looking at um, not the end of a friendship, but a friendship that's learning how to move on and go their own separate ways and be their own men. Right, you know because I mean? throughout the entire movie, people joke, you know, what's going to happen when you guys uh, move on in different directions? You guys haven't been apart since, like, the second grade. And, yeah, it's one of the running jokes throughout the entire movie, uh, especially Seth takes it hard of, what, you, you think that I can't live without him? You know, I you think that... Uh, if the second he moves away, I'm going to stop existing. Anyway, I got to go to the bathroom. Come help me wipe. <laughs> oh, yes. I used to say that joke in school, too, man. Like <laughs> so many quotables, man. Yeah. Uh, well, another thing, we going back a little bit when they were at the party, uh, one part that I love how it keeps going back and forth is uh, after they reached the end party with the alcohol and everything, mm-hmm. uh, you have Seth who is like – being the man he brought the alcohol to the party everybody's cheering him on and everything like that and then it would mm-hmm. cut to evan who's uh wants to sleep with becca who's already completely wasted and he's trying to get drunk himself and he's in the bathroom you know just trying to chug some liquor and go oh oh I, oh god it's oh no <laughs> right, just, right. He, he's trying to just get drunk as fast as possible and just having a miserable time uh, on the other hand, Seth is just drinking like a beast and, you know, having the best time of his life with everybody, like, cheering him on. And, you know, he's a hero because he brought the alcohol. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> when I first saw it, when he fell on, uh, uh, Jules and, um, kind of made that mark on her head, I was oh, like, yeah. I was like, is that physically possible it's impossible for him to fall on her like that. When I first saw that scene, I'm like, that's not, I don't believe that. But I did laugh because I'm like, all right, it's a comedy. Because mm-hmm. he's shorter than Emma Stone, ain't he? I, I think so, yeah. 
Well, think of it this way. If he was in that position and then he'd gotten a step stool and then he happened to lean over her, it's totally possible. There you go. There yeah. you go. Now, the the the, uh, the problem has been cleared in my mind. The problem has been cleared. He was on the step stool. It only took 10 plus years for you to give me that explanation. <laughs> and now I can I can I can die happy knowing that's how it happened. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um all right man uh double feature classic to me man five out of five. Oh yeah this one is a five out of five it's it's one of those movies that it's timeless it doesn't make any like references in pop culture or anything so it's always going to be a movie that people can relate to um it's it's up there with like the likes of the office in terms of something so relatable that it's hilarious but it stops being funny after you finish watching it because you're just like that. That was too on the spot. Ridiculous. And then you watch it again. You're like, this is the greatest movie of all time. I got to say, man, when I rewatch the office, it's like, I don't even laugh. I don't, I don't laugh that much. I just watch it. Cause it, you know, it, it, it soothes me. It pleases me. I, I don't even watch it as a comedy anymore. I look at it as something that I'm just familiar with. Uh, just basically going, look, other, other people know this pain too. It makes me feel better on the inside. Look, Kevin dropped the chili. Oh, man, I remember that was such a funny scene. Oh, uh, oh look, uh, uh, Michael was bringing out date Mike. <laughs> that was such a funny scene. It's like, it, like, I mean, I still do laugh, but, you know, um, it's, like you, it's, like, it's like Cheers where everybody knows your name. You know every single funniest scene of The Office. Oh yeah, watched this so many times, which makes it one of the greatest, like just background noise kind of things. It does, and my wife just doesn't get it. Like I tried to start her off with season three, and she laughed a little bit, but it's like she didn't want to. You know what I'm saying? She didn't want to keep going. She was like, "Eh, "This show is, I don't know." You know, it's like she she wouldn't. I know if she stuck with it, she would love The Office, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's one of those things where like you either get it or you don't. Right. So, uh, moving on to our second movie in the double feature verses, uh, Female Superbad, a.k.a. Booksmarked. It sounds like you're seeing universe, like, but, but verse in the double yeah. feature verse. The, the double feature verse. Uh, yeah, so with Booksmarked, it's basically almost the same plot line. We don't have a McLovin B plot in this one. Uh, we have it just focus on the two characters, and I'm trying to remember their names right now. Uh, one of them is Amy. Uh, Molly and, then and Amy. Molly and Amy. There we go. So okay. Molly and Amy, who are basically like the top tier, smartest people at the school in their heads, uh, they're focused only on school. They never do anything else outside of like learning in some way. They are the huge teacher's pet. Uh, they basically annoy the principal because they're just so school oriented and focused and he does not care for that at all. (laughs) He wants them to be kids. Yeah. And it's coming down to the final week of high school. Uh, same kind of premise as super bad. And they want to actually be able to go to a party and have some fun for a change because, this is going to be the last time they have it together before it is Amy that is going to travel abroad to Africa for the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, later revealed to be a longer trip than that, but 
at the beginning it's it, Molly only knows about it for the summer at this point. So mm-hmm. the movie is basically just a complete road trip of trying to get to this party as they could keep getting diverted to other parties and it it just it leads to great humor and I it, it leads to some great stuff. Uh especially that first party with the rich kid where he brings them to uh the boat and it's literally just the I, the first time I saw this I was cracking up at that scene. Right. It's just it's just him and his sister on the boat, right? Yeah, him and his sister are on the boat. Uh, and she, well, you don't even see her at first. He right, just brings right. them on the boat and they're just kind of going, you know what? Maybe somebody else here is going to know the address. Then we can kind of, you know, slip away. He won't notice that we're gone. It's not a big deal. You know, uh, worst comes to worst. You know, we, we have some fun at this party maybe. And they just get up to the like main deck of the boat and it's empty except for the wait staff there. And uh, the guy that brought them, which is his party. And it's just absolutely hilarious how the wait staff just keep popping up out of nowhere with uh, the tray of food of just, would you want one? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, the, the kids who go to their school, um, they're, they're a pretty lively, eclectic bunch. And um, I got to say, the, re- the reason I like Molly and Amy is because they have their own language. They have their own code word when things get really bad. Um, and they, I just, I love like, like, I love like their quirky friendship. Like I like uh, when, um, I think it's Molly who's picking up Amy or Amy's picking up Molly. And they just start dancing as, oh, as one yeah, of them comes to the Oh yeah, that's like at the beginning, uh, Amy was picking up Molly. Molly was like going down the stairs and doing like this strut walk and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. I um, it, it shows the, their connection to one another, and it's the same thing. Is this is why I connect this to Superbad? It's about kids who, you know, they've always been good kids, and then they kind of wonder, well, what if we're not good kids? Like, what what if we kind of go bad that before our last arrive to go to college? And it's it's two friends that um can't live uh, one can't live without the other. Yeah, they definitely have like a relationship where they need each other in a way. Mm-hmm. And so them going through this whole adventure, uh I, I can say that the kids in this school are just complete flanderizations of different stereotypes of kids in high school, which is a little annoying, but at the same time <clears throat> they're such accurate stereotypes. You can't be too mad <laughs> at the fact that they're that way. I don't know if it's flannerizations. I feel like it's right. I mean, you can't really be in high school when you're writing these things. Same with Seth and Evan. They were just drawn from their personal experiences. And yeah, I feel like it was just right. It's a movie. I feel like it was just right. Yeah. Well, to me, it was more like, Oh, here's the rich kid. Here's the crazy girl. Here's the one that everybody thinks is a whore. Here's the one that, you know, is uh, a jerk to everybody, but is secretly very, you know, uh, lonely on the inside. Here's the quirky girl. Here's the, you know, it it was just overall stereotypes to each person. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So, like I said, it wasn't, it kind of got annoying a little bit, but it, it's hard to be mad at it because all the stereotypes are accurate. Every school had those people. So I don't know if it's kind of just going, this is too real, and that's why it just feels off to me, or what it is about it. But that that's <clears throat> one of the things that just, throughout the entire movie, it, you're constantly just barraged with, oh yeah, there's that kid. Oh, there's that, here's the musical theater kid. You know, here's the <laughs> person that takes everything way too seriously. Yeah. What did you feel about the... Uh the uh was it could i should i call it the barbie scene um, oh that's right when they after they had like the strawberries laced with whatever it was right yeah um that was i found it hilarious i'm not gonna lie i i laughed so hilarious. hard at that <laughs> scene yeah I, I i thought it was pretty funny too um so uh what, um, so wh- where where did you leave off in the plot? They went on the cruise ship, and then... So from there, they ended up at, I believe it was the theater kid's house for the mystery the murder, theater. Yeah. The murder mystery party. Yeah, the murder mystery party, uh, which is to say that uh, I think her name was Gigi, was the girl that, uh, or the... Uh, sister for the rich kid who had the last party. Uh, mm-hmm. She shows up there out of nowhere. Uh, this is after she jumped off the boat at the last party, and then they ran away, and all of a sudden they get to this party, and she's just there. Uh, right. Oh, between that, this was uh, when they ran into their principal as an Uber driver, right? Right, right. Yes, which leads to a hilarious thing where uh, they're in the back seat and they're trying to watch porn to know, you know, what to do when they get to this party and everything like that. And she has to plug in her phone to charge and uh, he goes, oh, you guys are listening to mute. I can just put it on up here and then just starts playing on the speakers in the car. And then they frantically are like unplugging the phone and the comedic like, oh, I can't grab the phone. Like, I need to uh, hold on. I need to unplug it. And I just love his line. And I hope to God this was mad libbed uh, just on the spot of was that Cardi B? <laughs> it's like, oh, is this the new Cardi B song? And yeah. he's not far off because, you know, <laughs> right. Like, yeah. With WAP with WAP and everything. <laughs> like he's like, is this the new Cardi B? And this was way before WAP was even a thing, too. <laughs> it was. I noticed that. I noticed that, I, and I was like, "Dude, that's perfect." If if WAP was around and that joke was made like that, it it would be even more perfect than it already was. Yeah, so that that was a great scene. Uh, a lot of laughs with that one. But from there, they end up at the theater kid's house. Uh, this is probably where the movie kind of took a downturn to me a little bit. Like the Barbie doll kind of uh, trip scene was funny. But the, mm. the things going on with the, like the murder mystery just weren't. I I didn't get too many laughs out of that. It just kind of came and went, you know, completely unprovoked and unrememberable. I thought it was okay. It it, it was unmemorable, but I thought it was. Uh, I thought it, I thought it was. It was all right for what it was. Yeah, it was. It wasn't bad. It's just in with everything else in the movie. This is definitely the down spike in the movie to me, in terms of like 
going, oh man, this movie is great. You know, what would be the scene that you didn't like the most? It, it would be the murder mystery stuff. If they were to cut something out, it would be that to me. I'm going to say this. If you're a high school teacher and your name is Miss Fine, you were just asking for all of the jokes. I'm just, <laughs> you were just asking for all of the jokes. Miss Fine? Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> when I first heard that, I'm like, oh, I don't know all the jokes that are coming, but I just know there's going to be a bunch of jokes. But there were only really a few on that one, too. I know, but it, it, that makes me even more like like exasperated. Like you missed a perfect moment <laughs> to make a bunch of punchlines about that name. <laughs> yeah, they did not uh, take advantage of that one to its full capacity, but they did take advantage of it a couple times, so that was yeah. nice. Uh, but eventually, they do make it to the actual party uh, where you have Amy, uh, who oh, she is a lesbian. So she was mm. going after this girl named Ryan. Thanks for letting us know that. Yeah. So it's it's important <laughs> to add this in at this point because she was going to the party to see a girl named Ryan who was there. And then right. Molly was going to see uh, a guy named Alex who was there. And I want to say that they were siblings in some way, right? Ryan and Alex? Uh... Was it Ryan? Hold up. I thought she was trying to see, uh, I thought it was Nick. Wait, hold up. Which one was Nick? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, Nick was the one that, um, Molly was trying to get with. Nick. Oh, Nick. Okay, I'm getting the names mixed up. Okay, so Nick was the one that Molly was trying to get with, and then, uh, Amy was going there because Ryan said that she was going to be there. Right, right. Okay, that's my bad. I got the mix up a little bit. There you go. All right, no problem. Um, yeah. So I didn't. I. I. Um. I. I kind of like the second half better than I like the first half because I like when they get to this party, and um. Oh man, that karaoke scene of "You Oughta Know" is one of my favorites <laughs> in this movie, dude. The way that dude sung that song made me laugh, dog. Cause, oh like, yeah. That's a very inspired way to sing that song. Like, uh, <laughs> like when he's singing the, you know, go down on you in the theater line, and he takes the microphone and goes, ah, and then he, he yells out his ex-boyfriend's name as he gets to the end. It's like, there, there, there's many scenes I've seen that, that play that song well, like when Kevin sings it in the office or like when this guy sings it, and I just, that made me laugh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, I can say, like, basically it's a halfway point when they finally make it to the party in the movie, and right. it, that's when it really starts taking off. So mm. they get there, they get with the people that they were supposed to be there for and everything, or they, they were going to the party to see, and they kind of start having some fun. Uh, Molly is kind of realizing that... Uh, you know, it was Nick who is a little bit smarter than she always thought he was. He's a little bit nerdy. Uh, he mm. wasn't just like the jock that uh, she thought he was and everything like that. And then you have Amy who is with Ryan and they're kind of doing the karaoke thing upstairs and kind of having some fun. And eventually Ryan gets Amy downstairs and they start uh, jumping in the pool with everybody who they're just swimming in their underwear in the pool. And 
that's when she notices Ryan with uh, Nick. Right, right. She notices Ryan with Nick. I like how you just noticed that. Like you just like noted that offhand. Oh, you know, they're they're swimming in the underwear. Yeah, there's you know, a, everyone yeah. else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, she's a lesbian. You know, like yeah. <laughs> like, what? Well, that one was an important point in the story that we forgot to completely mention before. I know, but like halfway through describing the movie, you just say offhand, "Oh yeah, she's a lesbian." <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, By the way, I'm important detail. Turns out Luke is one of these uh, Jedi things. Anyway, moving back along. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. But they realize that um, uh, you know their crushes that they like or the people. Well, that Amy to realizes this. Molly still doesn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amy realizes this, and it leads to what I think is one of the best shot, and most one of the most emotional, kind of like disturbing one shots uh, that this movie could do, and. It starts with her getting, like, the one shot starts with her starting to get out of the pool. She gets back dressed, walks into the house, and she starts walking past all the people because she's trying to find Molly. And she's just going through the party. There's, you know, people talking in the background. Everything's going on. And she's just walking around corners just trying to find her people are talking you can kind of see them in the background eventually she does make it to find molly and as this is going on the you just hear the background noise there's the music playing in the background that's all somber and everything it slowly dims down to her talking with molly still in a Mm -hmm. one shot as well and they start having this argument of we gotta go, you know, uh, this we we gotta go. Uh, she calls like the safe word to like they have to leave right away, kind of thing. And Molly just Malala. goes, no, uh, we're not leaving. You know, you always do this. You always, you know, only go halfway on everything that we're gonna do. And she gets so upset. They argue about it. And you just slowly see these little lights popping up in the background as the camera's zooming back and forth between them as you realize, like, people are recording this as they're yelling at each other in the middle of this party, just going at it about, you know, you always boss me around. That's because you never take charge. I try and take charge. You just never let me, you know. It, it, right. it takes a huge emotional toll in this scene. And I love how the camera just constantly goes back and forth. And I loved how it tracked her through the house as she was going through it. And it's just, it's such a beautiful one shot. I don't know if you caught that that was all one shot or not when you were watching it. Did I catch it? Of course I caught it. Okay, I I just want to make sure because it's so beautifully done. I absolutely love that. But I love one shots in movies. When they can pull it off so well like that, I love it. No, I'm, I'm. I think it's a great. Um, I think it's a great one shot. Um, I don't think it was. It, it didn't. I don't think it was disturbing, but I thought it was a pretty nice one shot as it showed like a little bit of. Um, you know, it's not, it, disturbing is not the right word. Uh, distressing. Yeah, it was. I, it was. It was a. I, I. I don't even know if I give it that, but it was a very nice emotional moment, and I like how the music kind of drowns out them arguing, but you can kind of picture what they're saying oh, to yeah. each other. You, you you take it as like a regular, not regular, but you take it as like this is a big fight between close friends. Mm-hmm. You know, you know they're saying something painful to one another as it's being recorded. Yeah, I thought it was a very nice one shot. Um, yeah, I thought it was cool. 
Yeah, I love that it's also the same music that was playing when she was, like, going through the house and trying to find, like, you can tell that this is her, like, internal kind of, you know, mood that's going through and it kind of levels down when she finds Molly and is like, we can, we can leave, we gotta, we gotta get out of here, you know, this is bad. And then as she realizes it, it's not going to work out like that, it just starts to come back up and drowns out their argument as like the internal headspace that she's in because it's still kind of focused on her, even though it's kind of panning between the two. Because the one shot started with her, it's still on the focus of her. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, and I, um, I love that scene. It's from the scene that we uh, we see um, Caitlin Devereaux's character, um, Amy, uh, go in the bathroom, you know, she starts crying, and then she runs into um, uh, a kid that she always had kind of like a, a beef with that um, she always argues. She uh, like uh, Her name is Hope, right? Something like that. I remember very vaguely. Was Now, was Hope one of the popular kids, or was she one of the outcast kids that just like always dished Amy? No, like, she was just kind of one of the like outcast kids that just kind of would always sit by themselves and was just mean to everybody and always had snide remarks to make. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, she runs into her. Um, they start arguing, and then they start arguing and start making out. And then... Um, Making out the making out leads to uh, sex. And, you know, uh, you know, Amy, you know, starts, you know, fingering her, of course. And she says, you know, you're uh, you're you're in the wrong hole. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, Amy, you know, she's a she's embarrassed. So she gets up to leave like, I got to go. I got to go. And then she throws up on her. No, Uh, what she did is uh, she was like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. And she went to, like, go grab her beer. And she accidentally grabbed another cup, which was. uh. I can't remember what it was, but was yeah, something. I didn't know what was in that. <clears throat> but uh, and then she just threw up after that right onto her. Right, right. Um, so you know that scene is that, and then you know Molly has a good heart to heart with uh, Jared. Uh, Jared's the, the rich kid, right? Yeah, that's the rich kid. Yeah, she has a good heart to heart with him, and he kind of like, kind of like reveals who he kind of is. Like, dude, like, um. You know, I know a lot of people are turned off by my sister, but, you know, she's loyal and I love her. And, you know, like um, people don't realize, like, you know, what I'm saying like I'm a dude that uh, what does he say? He likes musicals and what else? Yeah, he likes musical and airplanes. He wants to be a pilot. There you go. And, and uh, also there's yeah. the rumor going around that uh, on his like 16th birthday or something, his father bought him a prostitute. And he was like sitting right. there and going, do, do people actually really think that like. Do people think that I really slept with a prostitute when I was 16 years old? Because I hear people say it all the time, but do they really believe that? Do you believe right. that? And it's the, the heart-to-heart kind of moment mm. between them. Yeah, I think it was it, it, it was destined for those two. To, and I, I knew that was going to happen Like, because Jared came off like a sweet kid. He just wanted a lot of people to like really like 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 him. And I, I again, you you can understand that, but um, yeah. he he was a tryhard with it, which put people yeah. off to him, but he he that's all he wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, so you know, cut to um, man, this movie almost has like the same exact beats as Superbad, you know. Uh, cut to um, it's uh in the morning that they uh, oh no 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 no, the cops come. Yeah, and uh, this is a little different. Um, Mo- uh, Amy gets arrested. You know, Molly leaves, of course, 
but I think Amy creates a diversion for the other teenage kids um, because they're hiding from the cops and she gets arrested. But I'm like, why? First of all, why is she getting arrested? Like, she's a minor, ain't she? Yeah, she's a minor. So, yeah, that part... It made no sense. I, I think it was supposed to be like, oh, she was being heroic and stuff like that. But, yeah, it, she shouldn't have been arrested. Because uh, she was actually, like, being held uh, at... I I wouldn't she say it was jail. a prison, but... Yeah, she was being held uh, for some reason up until Molly comes back and they exchange information for a... Uh, who was it? it was like a murderer that they had like a sketch of and it ended up being the pizza delivery guy they they had run into earlier in the day oh right yeah yeah yeah. i, I know but i'm saying like what could they possibly have on her unless she tried to hit one of the cops then i understand but it's like she's a minor the most you're gonna do to kids at a party like that is get out of here or we're calling your parents or you know like you don't arrest them yeah or get in the car. We're bringing you home. Yeah. That. Yeah. That too. That. That's it. They. Yeah. That. That part kind of bothered me a little bit too. Like the whole like arrest thing, and then it's like, oh, we'll trade you letting her out of jail for information on where this mass murderer guy is. Uh, wink, wink, nod, nod. And it's like right, that right. is one of the weirdest plot line twists that they could have taken with that whole thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it's so random that he's a serial killer too. Yeah. Yeah, cuz even like during that scene he was talking like, "What if I was a serial killer? You know, what would happen then? You know, what if I just <laughs> locked these doors, you know, uh, tied you up into the back of my car and then brought you home and, you know, made you do weird stuff in my basement?" You know, like <laughs> I guess in that I guess in that case it does make sense. It makes it more funny. Yeah. But um yeah, okay. It it did make that conversation funnier when you see like the picture on the wall. But for the trading of information and stuff like that to get Amy out of jail, it it's just a weird way for them to move the plot forward in that way. You know, at that point, just take her coming out of jail out of the movie or going into jail out of the movie entirely. You know. But it it Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I hear you. So, okay, moving on from that, um, you know, it, yeah, she, she gets her out of jail. They apologize to each other. Um, and, uh, they go, I, I thought the graduation speech was pretty touching. You know, I, I thought it was pretty cool having, um, it was a funny scene between, um, Jared and, uh, Jason Sudeikis character, the principal. Oh, the principal, he's like, yeah. He's like, Molly's supposed to be here. Well, where is she? Oh, oh, she wanted me to tell you. Um, this happens all the time in the Senate. Uh, when a, when a, when a, when a Senator isn't there, they usually have somebody like, okay, just, just go ahead. That or no, like at her. first it's, uh, uh, Molly said that I should tap in. She said, you should tap in that. That doesn't sound like Molly at all. Yeah. She told me that like this happens in the Senate all the time. And under certain circumstances, when a member of the Senate can't be there, they can appoint somebody. You know what? That sounds like Molly. Just get up on the stage. I, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> Right, right, and um, yeah, uh, she gives the speech, which is uh, which is pretty cool, and everybody cheers on um, Amy for you know uh, going to jail for everybody, and you know it's a pretty it's a pretty sweet moment. Um, mm-hmm. Later on, after after Hope gives Amy her phone number, 
and you know they all say goodbye. Uh, I thought <laughs> I thought it was a pretty cool, pretty funny moment with her and her parents when they realize she's bringing the doll she's always had as a kid. Oh, yeah. oh you're bringing Ling Ling. And then, you know, as they're all just trying to, like, kiss Ling Ling, Molly just comes in and smacks the doll down. And yeah. They, they kind of all just stare at her and just go on about what they were doing. Oh, yeah. Th- this movie has a lot of stupid jokes, but the stupid jokes land. <laughs> yeah, well, you can relate to that, though. Like, oh, you, yeah. You, you can relate to parents being, um, you know, emotional when you're going off somewhere and leaving a nest. You can relate to that. Uh, um, also, she was using that uh, bear to masturbate. That was one of the jokes early in the movie, too. <laughs> right, right. There you go. Yeah, yeah. That that's a nice callback too. Um. So when you uh, talk about, um, I like the final scene. I think the final scene works very well when you're at the airport. And um, yeah, it has the same kind of looking back at each other as they're kind of going their separate ways that we saw at the end of Superbad. Uh, this movie yeah. really does take like several notes from Superbad, and mm-hmm. it, it it does it well. It does do it well. It's a very it's a very um, like I said, these films are the inverse of one another. You know, Superbad is the male Booksmart, Booksmart is the female Superbad. Um, but I like how I like the fake out in the end when. Um, you know, they had this real touching moment where both of them were crying. You know, Molly's driving away crying, and Amy just jumps out in front of the car like a maniac. And, and Molly's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I was having a moment. She's like, yo, you want to get pancakes? She's like, fuck yes, I want to get pancakes. Yeah, <laughs> That made me laugh, man. I thought that was a pretty cool, pretty funny scene. Yeah. It was definitely a way to break up the tension in a different way than what Superbad did, which was kind of just let the moment sit and then fade out. Uh, this one kind of did the whole like, yeah, they're still going to be friends even though they're going to be apart from each other and stuff like that and they're not exactly moving on from each other kind of thing. Right, right. I um, I liked it, man. I loved the chemistry between the two leads. Uh, I thought, I thought, I thought they both worked really well. I feel like this film was a very solid coming of age movie. I give this. I want to say light, light four, but strong three point five. Uh, I think I'm on a four point for this one. Okay. I, I think okay. I can. That's fair. It, it's it's a very good movie. It does have a couple dips and everything like that. Uh, it has a lot of humor that just works very well for it. Uh, a lot of mm-hmm. stupid humor that still works very well. Like when they're in the principal's car, that scene's hilarious. Uh, mm-hmm. You have the whole entire thing on the boat is hilarious. Uh, when they get to the party, things start actually ramping up with like the emotional part of the story and everything. Uh, yeah. Them trying to like, what was it? They were trying to get the address from the guy in the delivering pizzas and everything, and that was funny. It, there's there's a lot to like about this movie, uh, but it it does have a couple dips in it. I, I don't say I can't say I relate to a lot of stuff that happened in this movie high school wise because it feels like this was a different generation of yeah, high schoolers. Th- this was ten years later, kind of super bad generation. This from is the super bad. Yeah. This this is a uh, this is Gen Z high school. I wouldn't even uh, say it's fully Gen Z high school. I would say that it's closer to like very young millennial. And maybe very maybe. like elder Gen Z, because most of Gen Z is still like in high school. 
Well, then they wouldn't be they wouldn't be elder Gen Z. They'd be young Gen Z. No, when this movie came out, it would have been Gen for the early, the early Gen Z. the older Gen Z people. I don't know, man. I think the millennials were the teachers in this movie. Miss Fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's around <laughs> our age. Like, I, I don't know. You might be right. But, um, yeah, it is 10 years later. It's a different type of high school vibe. You know what I mean? But yeah. uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, it uh, it's a super bad movie for a new generation with a female-led cast. Definitely. I, I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. Uh, goes without saying, if we... Uh, look at the showdown. Super bad is just, it's just top notch, man. It is. It's. It was a movie made for us in our generation that just hits home on so many levels. Has great humor. It. It. It's a timeless but I, movie. But I will say this is one of the best high school comedies I've seen since Super Bad. Yes. Hence why we're comparing them. You know, it's 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 a nice pred. It's a nice predecessor to Super Bad. Yes, very much so. Dude, speaking about friendships and breaking up, though, um, this is one of the few films uh, produced by uh, uh, Williams, w- Will Ferrell and Adam McKay before they broke up, man. I didn't even know they broke up until I've been reading about it uh, for Adam McKay's uh, latest film coming up called Don't Look Up. I didn't oh, know they ri- broke up. I didn't know that either. Yeah, like apparently Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, they've been for a while... Adam McKay wanted to focus on his on doing like he wanted to branch out from comedy, which is understandable. You know, he goes from like doing Big Short, which is a great movie. Then he do it does Vice, which um, even though it didn't get acclaimed as much as the Big Short, it still was a successful movie. Yeah. He wanted to like kind of branch out to do different stuff than comedy. And Will Ferrell was still kind of focused on comedy. But the main thing that really broke the camel's back is that uh, one of Adam McKay's one of his uh, upcoming series it was based on the coach that was uh, the coach for Magic Johnson. I don't, I don't know the guy's name, but um, initially Will Ferrell was supposed to play that role, but Adam McKay chose John C. Riley instead. Um, John C. <laughs> I feel like I'm gossiping. John <laughs> C. Riley told Will Ferrell, like, hey, man, I just want to be honest with you. They, they gave me that role just to let Will Ferrell know. Mm-hmm. And then Will Ferrell, I guess he felt some type of way about it, so they just they broke up. They just stopped talking to each other after that, that he didn't get that role. Um, that's sad, man. They're a good team, but they, I they're understand. a great combination. They, yeah. they have so many classic movies together. Yeah, I I hope this doesn't become a Harold Ramis, Bill Murray thing where they stop talking until you know they get into old age and one of them you know untimely passes away and the other one is like has regret about it. Like I, I hope it doesn't end up like that. I hope they still. Because they're not even on speaking terms. Like Adam McKay has tried mm-hmm. to reach him apparently, and Will Ferrell didn't return it, hasn't returned his calls. Like, I hope they still can at least. I know it's a business, but I hope they still can at least make that right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Hopefully, at the very least, they can become friends again, even if they don't really work together and stuff. Because they're such an right. iconic duo, it it sucks to hear that they're, you know, not even on speaking terms anymore. It's kind of like when Kevin Smith and Ben Affleck kind of had their oh, parting yeah. ways like that that was a hurtful kind of thing to know that they weren't talking anymore that sounded a little petty though like the more because the thing was i don't think like i think kevin smith and jennifer garner didn't like each other or something yeah they they that's, did not like each other at all that's petty man i mean that that's like that, that like at what point 
I'm not in your friendship. I don't know. But I'm like, at, at some point, you got to stop acting like kids and be adults. Like, okay, you don't like your best friend's wife, but respect her. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's your best friend's wife. Respect her, you know? Or on her end, you don't like your your husband's best friend, but that's his boy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I wasn't in a relationship. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that was heartbreaking. Kevin Smith and Ben Affleck. Um, yeah. Yeah, it sucks because I can't picture Adam McKay's name without Pharaoh. And I really can't picture Pharaoh's name without Adam McKay because, you know, Anchorman, Step Brothers. You talk about the best Will Ferrell films. Adam McKay either directed it or produced it. Yeah, he was involved it. in some way, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. So, yeah, man, that's sad. Um, you seen anything lately? Um, I am still in the middle of my Spider-Man complete rewatch. Me too. Uh, I have done all three of the Tobey Maguire movies. I've done the two Amazing Spider-Man movies. I still need to do Homecoming and Far From Home. Yeah, um, uh, my wife and I just got done with the Tobey Maguire movies, dude. Man... We're gonna talk about it on the podcast, but man, that was that was such a that took me all the way back, man. It's such yeah, like the I can't tell if you know. Every once in a while, my like critic brain would come in, and I'd be like, "That was a stupid plot device." But then, like the internal like uh, kid in me watching these movies for the first time would kick in and be like, "That was amazing, though. That was that I loved that." We're gonna talk about this. I can objectively say Spider Man Three is a mess. But it's an entertaining mess. It's a very entertaining mess. It's it's actually better than I remember it being. I'll be honest. It is like it. it I I like that Sam Raimi had the gumption to try to deal with what he had with throwing everything at the wall in that movie. It does make for a mess compared to the first two movies, which play very very nicely. Mm-hmm. You know, even for their time, it's the, like Spider Man Two was will always be a great superhero film. Just the themes, the character development, everything. Where everything works in that movie. But, um, you know, when you look at Spider-Man 3, so much is being thrown at the wall. And Sam Raimi does what he does what he can. You know, he, he, he does what he can. And that's what counts. Um, but, yeah, it is a mess. It, it's a mess. Yeah. Well, one thing, it's uh, people always go like, oh, they didn't put enough time into each of the villains and stuff like that. But if you look at the very first Spider-Man movie, uh, William Defoe is only in it for 16 minutes of screen time. The entire movie. There's only really? 16 minutes where he's on screen. Well, I, I guess you're not counting his voice, but you're counting like him him personally yeah him personal no i'm also talking like when he's in the green goblin outfit too the green goblin's in a lot of spider-man I, you think so don't you is that true that's true oh wow no i didn't notice that yeah he is that's the like, silence of the lambs kind of trick he is you don't have, barely in the movie I did. I did not notice that. He seemed like he was in a lot of it, like in the I green know. goblin costume, his voice, him person, him personally. It seems like you know he's in a lot of it. But oh man, that's a nice magic trick. Well, I guess most of it were focused on the beginning of Spider-Man, though. Yeah, with him learning his powers, learning everything that's going on, uh, trying to find like that middle ground of like responsibility and stuff. 
we're giving the audience too much juice. We'll get to it um, when, we, oh, yeah. when we talk about it. But um, I am starting to and I just started the Andrew Garfield one, so that's where I'm at personally. Oh, okay. Uh, I saw the Matrix in theaters. They showed the first one um, at AMC, so I went to see that on the big screen. You want to talk about something that still works well so many years later? Some of it does seem a little dated, like you know the the late '90s early 2000s it, 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 it has that feel to it but it's still such a great movie oh yeah it's an entertaining movie at the very least you know you might yeah. have to like shut your brain off for some of the sci-fi elements of it but it's it's a it's, great entertaining movie i don't think it's a such a brain off type of film it's very thought-provoking like like the matrix was really ahead of its time man I, I think there's a lot of thought that goes into those movies, and the Wachowski brothers were kind of just on a different plane than other science fiction directors at that time. Um, I think you got to shut your brain off where, you know, Neo is, you, you kind of got dudish Keanu Reeves. Keanu was always entertaining, but this mm-hmm. is kind of like dudish Keanu. He was kind of yeah. like coming off that Bill and Ted thing where he was like, whoa. And, you know, like, I say with scenes like that, okay, you kind of just got to take it for what it is, but. Um, well, I'm more talking I, like after like you realize like the machines are using humans as batteries to power themselves because we destroyed the sun and they can't use that for, you know, solar power anymore. And it, it that kind of weird sci-fi thing where you're just like, ah, OK, brain, turn off. Don't don't think about it. Just don't think about it. They're they're, well, they're in a simulation. <laughs> I look at it as there was a. And they, they go deep into the mythology. They, there was a war between humans and the machines. Uh, the machines won. And they used us as, like, as you said, like they, they fermented us. Like we ferment our technology. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And um, I, again, yeah, maybe you do got to turn your brain off. But I think the, the thought, I think the design behind the, the storyline and the script is amazing to this day. Yeah, there's a lot I love, but yeah, when it comes to some of those sci-fi parts, like, why would they create a place that our minds would be able to go to if all they needed was the, you know, our bodies to be used for electricity? Why are they do? hold on, why, who made these pods and everything like then, you know, why is it? Machines. (laughs) Because they're machines. Well, I mean, you know, I, I listen, man. I get it. All right. But oh yeah, that's all I'm saying is there's there's a lot of the sci-fi elements. You gotta be like, okay, I'm turning my brain off for this one because this is just it's giving me a headache to think about. Yeah. Um. Outside of that, man, I just watched a a, a throwback '70s drama called The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Uh, good movie, man. I, I would suggest you have time check it out. It's about this man. He's uh he's not really in the mob, but he's done a lot of he's done a lot of jobs like steel trucks and stuff like that. He's a, he's a hand, kind of like a mob hand a little bit. Right. He's he's awaiting a sentence. Uh, he's awaiting a sentence of maybe like two years, and he's just trying to see what he can do before then. Like he has this detective friend. He wants to see if he can maybe, you know, snitch and give him some intel in order to like get a good word sent to the judge, while also trying to score some guns for friends of his. So he can get extra money for his wife before he goes away, and it's just a it's a nice film that has some twists and turns to it. Um, I would suggest I would uh, suggest it. Okay, I'll have to check that one out. But All right, I think y'all. that wraps us up. <laughs> it wraps us up. Uh, thank you for joining us for another episode. Um, y'all have a great one. <laughs>